0: Well, U.S. inflation numbers this week, that's going to set the direction for the start of this year. So has it peaked? Does that mean less from the Fed? Can we see the 2023 bounce back happening faster than expected? And what about China? Will they get over COVID and get on with it in terms of playing their part in the global supply chain? And do we have to temper all of this optimism with the reminder that COVID is still around and it's still killing people? If we look at the numbers out of the UK overnight, and what about that war with Russia? That's still waging as well, and it's not getting any better. So optimism tempered with a hard dose of reality at the start of 2023. But welcome. It is Wednesday, the 11th of January, 2023. It's the Morning Call from NAB. Good morning. OK, well, the U.S. dollar is up 0.3% on the DXY this morning, but down by 0.3% so far this year. The Aussie dollar, 0.4% down this morning, but so far this year up 1.3%, almost at 68.9 U.S. cents. It was 66.8, a whole two cents uh, lighter uh, when we uh, took a break for the holidays. Ten-year Treasury yields rose nine basis points this morning that were 3.6%, 26 basis points lower than the start of the year. Two-year yields are up over five basis points this morning, but down 50 basis points so far this year. Aussie 10-year yields at 3.7%, which is pretty close to where uh, we left them uh, just last year, but down 33 basis points since the start of the new year. And equities, well, the S&P 500 is flat today just about, but some intraday volatility, the same as yesterday, but uh, year-to-date it is up 1.5%. The Dow also a little up this morning and up 1.1% so far in 2023. The Nasdaq up 1.8% so far this year, but year Today, the euro stocks 50 well, that's up almost seven percent. The FTSE 100 up 3.3 percent. The Hang Seng up 7.8 uh, percent. The ASX 200 is up but just 1.2 percent, allowing for that 0.3 uh, percent fall that we saw yesterday. And oil well, WTI is worth a little over 75 now. Brent is a smidgen over 80. We left it uh, just before Christmas, just a little below 80, so no massive moves. But let's start by looking. At some of those moves uh, with the first uh, episode back after the break. NAB's Ray Atrill is with me this morning. So, interestingly, Ray, uh, if we look at currencies, one of the biggest movers is the Aussie dollar. Now, presumably, we can put that down to continued optimism that there's going to be increased production coming out of China. Yes,
1: it is. Good morning, Phil, and uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Nice to be back. And yeah. um, yes, if I look across um, markets that, the, you know, the numbers that you've just read out, I would say that the biggest single driver. Uh, of a lot of those moves was actually the US numbers that we got at the end of last week, particularly the um, services ISM or the you know, Purchasing Managers Index, which fell below fifty, and actually was telling us that the um, the earlier weakness in the S and P global ver- um, vintages that everybody tends to ignore were actually telling the right signal. And the, the significance of that, um, you know, is that effectively the U S. If you take those numbers literally, has lost its sort of global growth leadership um, position. Um, And then that's been a key uh, prerequisite, as far as we're concerned, for uh, continuation of the dollar weakness, US dollar weakness that we saw at the end of last year. So that has shown up, as you mentioned, with um, Aussie as actually being the strongest G10 currency of the year. Um, But then if I look at the China side of things that you've just mentioned, um, you know, China's reopening, um, you know, continues apace, um, you know, despite some pretty alarming Um, COVID news relating to that I was reading that uh, one of the the third largest province in China they reckon 90% of the population may have contracted COVID since mid-December but markets are obviously traveling with optimism that uh, this is all going to be you know, fine and dandy by the end of the first quarter. And we've actually seen the Chinese currency appreciate Well, they've just it. got to get through it, haven't that's they? Right. I mean,
0: that, that's mm-hmm. what everyone will be saying. I mean, that the faster, if they're going to go through it, the faster they do it, the faster they can get on with well, that's life. That's right. So basically. the
1: view that, that herd immunity will be achieved you know, pretty rapidly, uh, you know, I think, is, is a message mm-hmm. not lost on, on markets, even though it's going to cause more... Uh, short-term, you know, health-related and economic pain. But um, coming back to Aussie, the point is that the Chinese currency has strengthened by over three percent since the end of last year. That's a, a pretty big move. It's a bigger move than any other currency. And uh, as we've often remarked, there's a bit of a direct read through from the performance of the Chinese currency through to the likes of the Aussie and the Kiwi dollars. And I think that's the reason that within a, you know, a generally weak US dollar environment, we've seen, um, you know, we've seen the Aussie. Um, being the outperformer. And the other thing I think to note is that um, in the payrolls numbers that we had last Friday from the US, uh, average hourly earnings were down at 0.3% on the month, a bit weaker than expected, and are are running at around a 4% annual rate, which is actually not inconsistent with the Fed's view uh, of what would be consistent with achieving the inflation target over time. Uh, And the incoming Fed rhetoric now is suggesting that, that 25 basis points rather than 50 is definitely on the table for discussion at the beginning of February meeting. And I think that's also one of the reasons that we've seen, um, you know, money market rates coming lower and bond yields, uh generally lower so the you know the fed pause uh, that we're all anticipating at some point in the next couple of months um you know could well arrive mm. uh, you know after perhaps just the first couple of meetings of the year so i think that's all
0: contributed and they still volatile isn't it because i mean because so it sounds like there's a bit of early morning early morning or early year optimism um but i mean it's still volatile isn't it because those because those I, I mentioned how yields are, are down so much but they are up a little bit this morning so it's still still, still volatile I'll, and yeah.
1: let's remember that, um, you know, the, the, the glamour stat of uh, what was last year and will be again this year, which is U.S. inflation, um, those December yeah. numbers loom large um, on well, Thursday night, effectively. So uh, they'll be greeting the Asian market at first thing on Friday morning. Um, you know, and the big risk mm. is inflation doesn't come down. You know, the Fed's not going to pause. The Fed's not going to be cutting rates this year. And that's where the big risk lies together with, um, you know, with earnings. And we've got the U.S. earnings season kicking off at the end. Of this week and Yeah, that's going to be
0: interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, they carried through. I mean, equities were buoyed along quite a bit by relatively strong earnings last year. Well, you know, not a lot perhaps in the way of or less in the way of forward guidance. But if they're not so strong this year, um, then perhaps that's going to hit equities harder or, or rising interest rates sort of doing that job anyway.
1: Well, obviously, you know the view is that uh, at the moment is that, that bond yields have have peaked. If you believe the price action yeah. that we've seen so far this year, but yes, it was higher bond yields were the principal driver of the um, of, of the weakness that we saw in equities over the course of next year. Uh, course of last year, sorry, and and they're going to remain a key influence. But as you say, earnings pretty much held up and anticipation of of earnings downgrades weren't really realised. So, you know, whether that starts to come through in the uh, the latest quarterly numbers or not, I think is a big test. And, you know, and the other risk record is, is that, you know, we're still looking at a US recession of sorts this year. Certainly the yield curve is doing nothing to detract us from that view. And if it's, you know, if if past is... uh, is, is prologue and you know equity markets won't bottom until we're actually in the midst of a recession that's also suggesting that there is still some vulnerabilities for the equity market which in turn you know would also be a risk to the uh, to the weaker us dollar view so uh still an enormous amount to play for at the beginning of the year as we go through yeah the following well, months. certainly
0: small Certainly small businesses aren't happy, are they? We had the NFIB Small Business Optimism Survey overnight. That fell in December down to 89.8. The average 49-year average is 98, so well below that. And this is the 12th consecutive month that has been below that level. And the two big concerns, obviously inflation, and the other one, jobs. So 41% of business owners said they're finding it hard to fill jobs. That's down a little bit on November, but just three points. So it's still historically high. So that tightness in the labour market, I mean, that's just not going away, is it?
1: Well, that's right. And and, yeah, and the Fed's really making no bones about it, that it needs to see, you know, a, a better supply demand balance in the labour market, which is a uh, central bank speak for higher unemployment, um, you know, before it thinks it can sound the all clear as far as wage inflation risks are concerned, even though the, the wages numbers themselves were quite encouraging last week. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, another sort of weak, uh, another US data point on the weak side of the ledger. We also had weaker than expected wholesale sales numbers last night. And in contrast, French industrial production punched the lights up 2% and 2.4% for manufacturing. So this theme of a sort of a rebalancing of uh, growth or who's the sort of the least dirty shirt in the laundry, if you like, I think that sort of the US is clearly losing its global growth leadership. And again, that is really, really important, I think, as it comes to uh, the relativities of of whose equity markets might do relatively better and, uh, and what happens for the US dollar this year
0: well yeah that, i mean we you know we, we spent the last couple of years looking at the difference between europe and uh and, and the united states and questioning which one's going to bounce back first and in which direction and we are as you say some positive numbers coming out of uh, out of europe and we had you some uk retail sales numbers as well for december which showed that numbers were a lot higher than expectation as well so uh, uh, there is some positivity around in europe even though we keep on referring to it as a bit of a basket case
1: no that's true although well, just on those uk retail sales numbers they are nominal numbers they're not the official retail sales numbers yeah. and if you adjust them for inflation. inflation uh, at retail 10%. spending's actually yeah. gone down in real terms. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. I need sure. to dampen your early year
0: enthusiasm. It's just, well, there we are. I was All trying right. to put some positive. I was trying to put a positive spin for the start of the year. Thanks for ruining that. Look, uh, Jerome Powell. Uh, he's been talking at the uh, Rick Spank symposium on central bank independence in stockholm i mean he didn't have a lot to say he was actually talking about climate change and basically the role of central banks which is that they shouldn't have any role in it whatsoever Uh, it's not their job Uh, but he didn't say anything at all about monetary policy now is that because that just it wasn't the time and the place I, i would have thought if he had something to say he would have managed to weave it in the fact that he hasn't said anything at all perhaps suggests he hasn't got anything new to say he's just holding off for the moment
1: Possibly, although this remember, this was a a symposium specifically on the topic of central bank independence. So it wasn't really Mm. the forum for that. And there are a whole host of central bankers there. And I haven't seen anything from any of them of any great relevance to monetary policy. Although one quote I did pick up from uh, from Jay Powell said that what the Fed is doing to bring down inflation won't be politically popular. And we know that. And that's why we have this institutional arrangement that provides more autonomy to do our job. I wouldn't read anything into that as to what it means for next month's fed yeah. decision but uh you know just yeah. a, a defense of, of independence at the time when central banks are clearly you know having to do things which are inevitably uh, politically unpopular
0: and Janet Yellen's been meeting with the five finance ministers so Australian news like the five eyes but for finance so Australia New Zealand the US Canada and the UK uh, mainly talking about uh, economic coercion against Russia apparently and uh, the ongoing effects of covid uh, the interesting thing is uh, she's been asked to stay. I'm not sure if this is big news or not. I mean, J- Janet, uh, Joe Biden asked if she could stay on, and she said yes, if that's news. So she's going to be in that role for a while longer. Right. And they've got a debt, you know, and this is good old-fashioned news. The debt ceiling is looming. That's right. And, you know, the
1: early exchanges that we've had in the US House of Representatives, where Kevin McCarthy, at the, what was it, the 15th time of asking, has been elected Speaker, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, the debt ceiling is pretty much the only leverage that the House Republicans have in their efforts to try and unravel um, a lot of the uh, the, the policies that have been approved by the Biden administration. you know in the last year or so particularly things like I think 80 billion dollars of funding for the internal revenue service which um you know, seems to have a lot of uh, Republican supporters quaking in their boots that they might have to actually have to pay the tax that they're due, and uh, so they're trying to repeal that, for example. And uh, obviously, with the Senate still controlled by the Democrats and the President having a huge amount of veto power, you'd say that none of these, um, you know, efforts are going to amount to anything. But when you've got the debt ceiling fight looming, which might not be until mid-year, it does give Republicans some kind of leverage to say, "Well, we're only going to support a rise in the debt ceiling if you." you know, support our efforts to repeal X, Y, and Z, for example. So uh, that fight uh, is still, you know, in the future. But I think that this, the stage has been set, if you like, for, for what 2023 20, uh, brings as far as uh, what goes on in the Beltway.
0: Mm. Now, uh, we had inflation. The inflation numbers in, in Tokyo now are close to 4%, obviously well above the, the target for the for the Bank of Japan. So, I mean, that's going to be the question. What does the Bank of Japan do? And also just uh, the new wine loans as well. We're just going back to China, $1.4 trillion up uh, from $1.2 trillion in December, uh, but a slowing in the growth of the money supply. So what, what can we take from all of that?
1: Well, I think on the China numbers, it does show that, um, you know, credit demand remains relatively weak, but the fact that bank all the growth that we're seeing is coming from bank loans, and most of that will be from the uh, effectively the state-owned banks, shows that, uh, you know, the government and the PBOC effectively, you know, telling the banks, you've got to go and make loans because we're you know, getting the economy, you know, backfiring is an imperative, but other yeah. forms of financing are you know are, are clearly you know not reflecting that uh that desire and uh, as you say money supply has you know had been picking up in the last couple of months as he's back a little bit but um but let's remember the you know the circumstances of december um you know whether you know the very short-term impact of, of, of unwinding of uh zero covid restrictions was to was to actually cause less economic activity rather than more i think as people were even more frightened about going out but um so a few overs and unders in that but as for the japan CPI numbers, yes, four percent now. The headline inflation rate, as far as Tokyo in December is concerned, which will flow through to the nationwide numbers next month. Um, you know, does that that sort of just adds to the sort of you know the the, the fevered speculation that uh, the zero percent YCC policy and negative policy rates are on borrowed time? Our view remains that uh, the BOJ will want to see um, this year's wage rounds that won't begin until March and probably won't end until early Q3. Um, you know, before they're convinced that uh, 2% plus inflation on a sustainable basis can be achieved. So our call is still for policy changes in the second half of the year. But uh, obviously after that bombshell of the, uh, the the change to the YCC tolerance range that we had in December, you know, we can't uh, you know, emphatically say that, that that no policy changes will come until then. Mm. But that's still our, our, our current view at least. But um, we're already seeing markets testing that 0.5% upper limit on the uh, the YCC with with scheduled and unscheduled bond buying. So um, that's going to be a, you know, an ongoing source of uh, speculation and volatility in the yen, I would suggest this year.
0: And, and here's a word of caution about the bounce back anywhere in the world but uh, if you look at the UK, I mean you mentioned in China how uh, the, the, the infection rates in parts of China, numbers out overnight from the UK, excess deaths last year, 9% more than in 2019 so there were 38,000 deaths in 2022 that in involved COVID versus ninety-five thousand in twenty twenty. So that obviously that was the worst year. So even last year it was still forty percent of the peak year. And those excess deaths peaked in December. So sort of last month. So people are still getting ill with this things. People are still dying from it, which obviously means, you know, that reluctance to work. So that creates uh, labour pressure um, strains. And um, overall, we're going to be less productive if people are off work as well. So we can't ignore the fact COVID is still
1: around. No, absolutely. And uh, talking, you mentioned productivity there. But if you look at the productivity numbers around the world, um, you know, the UK's productivity rates, I think, have sunk to the levels of Italy um, in the last decade. And mm. you can probably... Look at Brexit and other factors and then talk about that ad nausea in terms of the underlying causes. Because but yes, this, uh, right today. this can only add to the challenge that uh, the, uh, the Conservative administration under Rishi Sunak has to try and improve um, underlying growth prospects for the economy.
0: Now uh, we have a bit of a long one to come back with, aren't we? Sorry about that, folks. We we will try and keep the the, the length of these podcasts down a little bit, but there's a bit going on, including uh, you know part of why we're back today of all days. We've got some important Aussie numbers. We get the monthly CPI for November. That slowed in October, but we are expecting expecting it to have uh, risen again in November, aren't we? And then we also get retail numbers for November out today as well. But sort of like that's so, you know we don't, don't have to wait long for December, which is going to be a lot more interesting, I suspect.
1: Yeah, I think so. But a lot of interest in those inflation numbers. But, uh, you know, a, a lot of sort of uh, warning signals that uh, they only reflect, uh, I think, sort of 65% of the you know, 60 to 70% of the actual you know, quarterly CPI numbers. We are expecting an uptick um, with um, higher fuel prices and fruit and vegetables being uh, a principal driver of that. But um, as I say, there's, there's the usual degree of, of, of higher than usual degree of uncertainty. 7.3 is our pick up from uh, 6.3. Uh, nine And I think the market consensus is 7.2. And retail sales, you know, we think there'll be decent numbers. The statistical um, offices around the world are still struggling to how to seasonally adjust, um, you know, Black Friday sales data, et cetera. But uh, so we're picking 1% for that, which is a little bit stronger than expected. So um, a ripple or two for Aussie markets, I think, on those numbers today.
0: All right, And, yes, yeah, so you mentioned US CPI, which is on Thursday. So, I mean I- – is 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 the question has it peaked i mean are we are we expecting it to to, to to go down i mean the headline for november was 7.1% wasn't it has
1: it peaked we do th- we do think it's peaked and i think the question will be how far has it fallen and and the consensus numbers are that the headline numbers are going to be off about half a percent on november and the core ex food and energy by about 0.3. I think if we, uh, you know, if we get falls of that magnitude, then that will play with the grain of the uh, early year moves we've seen across markets. But if we were to get a significant upside surprise, then uh, that is going to be a, a challenge to yeah. uh, a lot of the optimism that's building that the Fed might not be, too far away from uh, from pausing its policy tightening cycle
0: right well very good to have you back on again ray we will catch you again soon really thanks phil good can you imagine if those uh, those inflation numbers actually rise uh, this week we can't take anything for granted at the moment can we Uh, that's it for the morning call the first one of 2023 i'm phil dobby back again tomorrow morning thanks for joining us